is episode one to LocoCast.net with your new hosts, Rick Harding and Craig Maloney. Hello. Craig, we're going to give this baby a shot. What do you think? Let's do it. So first, why do we need another podcast in the world? That is a good question. What do you think, Craig? Well, I think that there's there's room out there for other opinions on things. I mean, not everyone can obviously be a, a Leo Laporte or uh, have the, the resources of Buzz Out Loud or whatnot. But on the same token, um, it's the Internet. There's bits out there. Let's go find them. I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that. There just aren't enough truly geeky podcasts. I mean, I tell you what, if I have to hear one more time one of these, like, you know, I kind of consider a lot of those podcasts like consumer pundits, you know, and and Mac fanboys along with that. But, you know, uh, <laughs> but I kind of consider them consumer pundits. And every time there's a, a great, you know, interesting developer story that they completely gloss over or really misunderstand, I just go, you know, we need someone who actually gets this stuff to to go into that. Plus, I just consider myself, I realized I'm, I'm opinionated and I would like to share that opinion with the world because I like to think that I'm right. So and I'm just along for the ride. <laughs> so let's do a little background. So, um, you know, Craig, what makes you qualified to participate in such a geeky pontification of, of weird, correct opinions? Well, I have been using Linux now since about 1993 ish. Um, I have been, Let's see, using computers ever since I knew what they were from the World Book Encyclopedia and thought that they filled entire rooms and was absolutely floored that an Apple II was something that you could fit onto a desk. So I've, I've been around for a little while in the computering arena. I've seen a lot of things. You know, I, they call me the gray beard. Um, I, I'm I just can't grow a beard. That's what the problem is. <laughs> Oh, well, in that case, I can. I got you covered there. I got the gray going, too. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't actually get into computers until college. I didn't actually get my first one until my freshman year of college when I was going to school for engineering. And then I got thinking, hey, I can get paid to play with toys. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's been all downhill since then. I've come a long way, baby. <laughs> yeah, we have. So what to expect? What are we going to talk about? What are what kind of things are do we consider ourselves the experts of that we need to share with the world? Well, I am pretty much, I, I like I said, I've seen a lot of things come and go, so I feel that I have a certain, I don't know, ability to read the tea leaves, if you will, at times, and, and pontificate upon what's coming up. Um, I've also, I, I do a lot of uh, system administration stuff for work, and I've played around with a lot of different things like Python and Perl and such, so that's where I'm at. How about yourself? I think I'm a little bit of a readaholic. Um, I've kind of got a reputation that if something has gone down, I pretty much am the one that knows about it. And I, you know, it's always nice to, you know, people are like, hey, you know, have anyone heard of this new thing? And it's like, oh, yeah, I read three articles on it, you know, a couple of blog posts, and I actually tinkered with the source of that the other day, you know. And so uh, it's kind of uh, kind of cool to uh, have your feelers out with everything out there and, and to have, you know, great for, you know, formulating your opinions on things and, 
and uh, again, allows me to tell everyone how I'm right about this or that that they haven't heard about yet. <laughs> we'll get we'll, we'll find this as a recurring theme. I'm I, you know I, I guess I, I like to say I'm open minded, but once I do make up my mind, I think I'm pretty much stuck with it. So, um, which yeah, I'm I'm more of a person of strong opinions loosely held. I mean, I can usually be convinced. Uh, that something you know may may not be right at, upon initial reaction. Rick, I think you have the opposite problem. <laughs> Strong opinions, tightly held. Gosh darn it! Well, uh, the the biggest thing that I come into is when people have opinions but they don't actually understand what they're talking about. Um, we had this real big episode. Um, first, we should say that we're both from the Ubuntu loco. We're both Ubuntu Linux users, and so. Um, which is great because we have a nice little social group of, you know, similar, you know, Linux users. However, some of us can still find interest in Apple products. And mm-hmm. we had a nice little rant session in IRC the other day because we had one of our guys uh, really high on the Apple iPhone, in particular the multitasking feature. However, I had read through the development docs on that. And to call it multitasking is honestly is an insult to multitasking. I, I don't understand the whole, you know, hurrah about it. It's, I'm actually very happy today because now that iOS 4 is out today and people are getting their hands on it, you're already starting to see the people going, well, wait a minute, this multitasking thing is not all it's cracked up to be. So, I've, you know, it's like a situation there where I feel the need to, you know, present my opinion and then get his. And when I get his and I'm like, but no, you don't truly seem to understand what you're, you know, the, the, the depths of the multitasking situation here. Um, so yeah, I can kind of dig my heels in at that point and, and, and I'm more than happy to continuously say how wrong someone is. If you call um, your heels, maybe talons. <laughs> all right. Pointy, spiky things. All right. That's, that's fine. So that kind of brings us to our first opinionated thing of the day. I don't know if you saw or not, but there's a survey thing going around, uh, in the Ubuntu circles about setting up a stack overflow site. And I, have you used stack overflow? I have used Stack Overflow. Um, I find that the way that I use Stack Overflow is I'll usually find it in a Google search, and it generally gives me something that I'm looking for. So I find it pretty valuable. Yeah, so for the people that don't know, Stack Overflow is set up as a a help site. You go ask a question, and, and like a lot of previous help sites, you get points if you answer, and you uh, the, the, the person who asks a question says that your answer is the best. So it's a it's a it's kind of got a lot of that little social interaction thing there, you know, where you you want more reputation points and things. They've turned answering questions into a game where you have a score and you try and get the high score of answering questions and being valuable. Yeah, and it definitely does it in a in a cleaner uh, interface than like your general help forum, um, which is one thing I definitely like about it. Is it is definitely geared specifically at the Q and A, you know, side of things. So. What what they're looking to do, it looks like, is they're going to try and do something but uh, like a Stack Overflow or Server Overflow or whatever, but turn it into an Ubuntu-specific area, which I don't know. I, I'm one of those folks that says, okay, if you start using Ubuntu as like a, a synonym for Linux in general or Unix, then what exactly do you gain outside of doing something like a, a Linux or a Unix stack overflow that you wouldn't get with Ubuntu? Well, so this kind of came about because everyone's realized that the Ubuntu forums have become pretty much useless, which I definitely kind of agree with. <laughs> I, I won't say kind of. 
I mean, every yeah. time that I see, any time that I do a search and I'll find something in the Ubuntu forums, let's say it'll be something like, oh, I don't know, I'm having trouble with my ATI card this week because something screwed up. And I'll go and I'll do my little Google search like a diligent little geek, and I'll find something along the lines, uh, something similar to what I'm looking for in the Ubuntu forums. And it will be three posts. One post will be, I am having the exact problem that you're having, and two bumps. Or it'll be something along the lines of those three posts where the person will give uh, the problem that I am having. They will then have someone else completely go off on a tangent on them. And another person say, sudo such and such command and you're done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I, I think a big part of it is, is it's not very friendly for people to come in here and to do quick participation. I mean, just finding the particular forum that your comment question or discussion belongs in is a whole battle of in and of itself. And I have to say that I, I almost feel sorry for both the people that come here hoping for help and for the people that have to manage the forum. I mean, good grief. It is so immense and just vast that it, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of doomed. So from that standpoint, I can understand that, look, we have a problem. People want to come and ask questions and ask for help and ask for support. The IRC channel in Ubuntu, I mean, the thing flows by faster than you could possibly try to read. The forums are so deep and wide and buried that, you know, good luck trying to find anything. And so it seems like if we do something new, for the start, it has a potential to actually provide its intended purpose of, you know, allowing people to ask questions and to have answers. Well, even but, if they put something on there where something, like, they'll if they waited something where a if a, a question and answer is more recent like i don't know about you but sometimes i feel like when i go into the ubuntu forums i may as well have a torch and a, the necronomicon next to me while i figure out all this eldritch knowledge about 2006 and now how the ubuntu system worked back then it's just ridiculous at times um, they do do a good job with um they have some forums that are specific to each each um release so i mean at least in some areas it does kind of move forward but no i agree it's it's just it's just not that great for finding info but you know i have to admit that when i read this this uh the blog post here asking for us to go vote for it and we're gonna have the link for the voting uh in the show notes so feel free to to load up the uh the site at uh, localcast.net and uh grab the link there to, to put in your vote what do you think about it um but the first thing that popped in my head was does anyone remember the ubuntu brainstorm project yeah, I remember the Ubuntu Brainstorm project. They're using a similar version over at SourceForge for handling RFEs and such. Yeah, but you know, I actually had to go look today because um, I, I, I didn't realize that the Ubuntu Brainstorm site was actually still up and running. Um, I like to think that I'm kind of following you know the the right people, the right planets to, to be able to see info. Like for instance, like this this um, this survey or this you know come up. However, I honestly, I don't think I've heard anything about Ubuntu Brainstorm um, in the actual like Ubuntu public in, in the last two releases, if not more. I mean, have you? I have not heard much about Brainstorm except for the, uh, the announcement that SourceWord was using it. Uh, the BBC apparently was using it, and God love you if you can find the link to that nowadays. <laughs> So I've got it pulled up, and evidently it, it is uh, the, the most recent, most popular in the 30 days was submitted the 29th of May. and 2010? Yeah, 2010. 
Okay. And so I'm, I'm looking here, and I should, you know, I should probably not do most most popular. Let's say most popular. Let's say in the last 24 hours, do we actually have posts in the last 24 hours? No entries. So how about the last seven days? Ah, we do have some stuff in the last seven days. So I guess it's not completely dead. However, I have to really wonder how many guys from the Ubuntu Canonical Camper are looking and using this stuff. And I kind of have the same fear for this uh, this idea of using a Stack Overflow setup for for the Ubuntu that we just kind of move the problem, right? You know, we're going to set up a new site, and great, you know, like when the like when the IdeaStorm, the uh, Brainstorm site came out, it was really cool at first. But then, by the time the masses actually got over to it, it, it just you know it fell over. It was just it, it was flooded and useless. And I, I kind of see the same exact you know potential end here, and I wonder what ideas they've got for keeping this you know on the up and up. Well, I, I see this as being competition for like Stack Overflow and for Server Overflow. I mean, I know it's the same the same guys running the whole thing, but it's okay. It, this this time around, I'm going to throw it on the Ubuntu. Uh, Stack Overflow site versus the next time I'm going to throw it over on Server Overflow. And again, too, how do you get the people that are contributing to Stack Overflow and Server Overflow over to the Ubuntu Overflow, if you will, um, and get them participating in there as well? And it, I don't, takes, I, it takes an army to build a community. I don't think that's the goal at all, though. I think Ubuntu kind of says that we already have a community that they, if they, if Ubuntu puts up a site, they're going to have no problem drawing traffic to it and drawing people to it. And and part of the controversy, you know, that you kind of alluded to at the beginning was that there's some debate about setting up, you know, from outside the Ubuntu community about setting up a, a Linux Q and A site that's specific to Ubuntu. And honestly, I, I don't think Ubuntu even considers or worries about that because. Frankly, it's all about solving a problem that Ubuntu has with the Ubuntu forums and, and kind of moving the Ubuntu community forward. It's not a slight on the other communities for Fedora or, or SUSE or, or Linux as a whole, but they have kind of gotten, you know, Ubuntu's gotten so large that it can kind of carry, it's got enough momentum and mass to carry its own its own services and products throughout without really having to care too much, you know, about this, about everyone else out there. Right. I mean, when I can go into Barnes and Noble and or in Borders and find books that are, are labeled Ubuntu that have nothing to do with computing, I think we've got something going on here. And definitely, and as Ubuntu local members, you know, we definitely are, are part of and you know believe in the uh, you know Ubuntu community is definitely a great place. However, I have to say that there are certain you know like like everywhere in the world, there are certain places I just don't go anymore, and the forums have definitely reached that. Um, but yeah, so I'm thinking about going ahead. And I'm thinking about voting uh, no on this just because I don't think it's a long-term solution. Where do you think you're headed? I yeah, I, I'm not sure that it's that that swell of an idea. And like I said, this is this is spreading out the like you said, this is spreading out the problem. This is making I, I think it's making a, another support ghetto if you will of just another you know okay this is one other place that you can go and hope that someone comes along and manages to give you a hand 
and that's probably a good point that you know I think Ubuntu does have a little bit of an issue with the um, you know where do you start where do you go anymore you know where do you tell new users do you go to IRC do you go to a forum do you go to a Stack Overflow site do you go to a you know a brainstorm or a brainstorm site um, you know you kind of want to focus and, and have a, a good message going to your users of like this is the way you do things you know um, I've definitely had that problem with other sites where you kind of think you're doing the right thing and you're submitting a bug report you know and then we haven't we haven't even got there you know the you know the, the bugs and things that you might get flooded in here that don't belong here um, it's hard enough to get things where they belong as it is so yeah what ever happened to Ubuntu answers by the way I you, you know what <laughs> I don't even know okay <laughs> it's yeah so I, I, we're curious to see. We'll have to keep an eye on how this goes. So, uh, you know, everyone out there, go put your vote in. Um, you know, give your two cents and uh, let us know in our uh, on the blog here. You know, post some, post some comments. If there was a Stack Overflow just for the Ubuntu community, would you use it? And do you think it would be a, a better process or a better uh, way for you to, you know, reach out to the community for assistance or to help others? Because really, for every person we come in needing help, we really what we really need is, is 10 more providing help. Um, to try to help keep the the flood from from overtaking us all, I tell you. Well, and ten more providing consistent help, so that you're not giving ten different answers to the same question. Ah, uh, true. I mean, you're always going to have the differing opinion kind of thing. But what what I feel bad for are the people that ask questions and they get no reply, whether it is in IRC or in the forums. And you know, you definitely want to to get to, to gather your troops together to make sure that at least everyone comes into the community looking for help and get something out of it rather than, you know, getting left in the cold. Right. There you have it. So... I know I'm pretty big into reading. I'm a bit of a book whore. I don't know about you, Craig. I yeah, I have a few books. Yeah, I, I kind of got a half dozen in progress right now. But I kind of wanted to like you know to share because people are always curious. You know, what kind of books do, do other techies read, and what do they think of them? And I know I always need to do some kind of book reports and things and put the blog posts up, but uh, not real great at it. But I did want to bring up some of the stuff I'm reading now, at least one. And the main one that I'm getting close to finishing is Coders at Work. And I don't know if you looked at this book, but it's kind that of interesting. Book. You know, I, I started out really, really impressed with it. Um, basically, the book is along the whole, you know, the line of the whatever at work, right? You've had the uh, – actually, I'm trying to think of what the other books of the line are now. Now I can't think of it. <laughs> yeah, I know I know what you're talking about, though. I mean, the, the thing for me with coders at work, and it seems that there's this trend now that the publishers, they get – some one of them will have a, a book that does really well, like coders at work. And then they'll come up with all of these different you know, programming essay books because they're pretty easy to get a hold of. You know, you just interview 15 different developers or 20 of them and get 15 different results back from them. And it seemed to me that coders at work actually spent some time doing some honest to God interviews as opposed to just giving, you know, sending out the call to the 20 developers and saying, write about whatever you want, and we'll just throw it into a book and call it a day. Oh, yeah, no, these are definite, like, one-on-one interviews. They're fairly in-depth. The The background that the uh, that the author had to go through to be able to have an intelligent interview with these, with the, uh, the his subjects, I guess. Basically, I mean, he, it, it, the book's full of, like, 
you talk about gray beards. I mean, the gray beards of the industry, you know, guys that were working on computers, you know, back in the 60s and 70s, you know, guys that invented languages like the founders of, you know, JavaScript and Haskell and um, Erlang and um, guys that are known by acronyms. Yeah, guys, they really don't need a much of an introduction, but it's kind of a, a really interesting insight because he asked some good questions and, you know, you kind of get a feel, you know, I'm reading through and there are some people that he's interviewing and it's like, wow, this guy is like on a plane that I, I just can't fathom, you know, the way he the way he's saying he does like his debugging or, you know, how was the worst, you know, kind of uh, bug he ever had to find and stuff like that. However, there were a few that I could really relate to, that I could really see like, hey, I think like that. That's the way I go through and do things. And I got to feel a little good, you know, like, hey, like the founder, you know, the guy that invented Erlang and I, we, we kind of think a little bit alike, at least according to his interview and stuff. And I thought that was really interesting. And it made me want to go and I went and bought the Erlang book now because, you know, that interview really kind of inspired me. <laughs> Yeah, I've I've gotten to the uh, the Jamie Zawinski uh, section. I haven't really gotten that far into the book quite yet, but that was um, a really interesting interview. <laughs> and and that's definitely the downside of the book is that he does have a kind of set questions, and while he doesn't ask them in the same order, and the, the interviews do flow based on the conversation. Um, after a little bit, you do kind of get some of the same feel, you know. Okay, time to ask the question about, you know, what process do you do for debugging? Do you use a debugger? Do you use print statements or whatever, you know? And well, that's after, typical of any celebrity type question is like, oh, do you put your pants on one leg at a time or both? <laughs> no, definitely. But by, by the time you get through, I mean, there's there's a, quite a few of these. I, I don't have an exact count, but there's got to be a good 15 or so interviews. And after the first half of the book, you kind of start to go, okay. You start skimming and looking for the interesting bits. And uh, maybe it's just because uh, the... The uh, people that he interviewed in the second half didn't grab me as much as the first half, or maybe it was a repetition. But I kind of found myself doing more skimming towards the end of the book. It, definitely a good read, though. I will definitely say it was, you know, you know, really interesting, and there were some good tidbits and things in there. Um, not something you'd read to learn. You know, you're not going to walk out of here knowing something that you probably didn't know going in. Um, yeah, it's definitely not a, a coding book. They're not going to give you a whole bunch of really deep examples or anything like that. But yeah, so if you're looking for some reading that's not straight code, that's a little bit off, but still, you know, interesting tech, geeky stuff, I definitely can recommend the Coders at Workbook, and uh, we'll have a link in the show notes if you want to go and pick that one up. Um, I know I've got it on the Kindle format, and it reads really well there, um, so it works great, probably works great in both paperback and in electronic format, so. Well, what I am reading right now is the Couch DB book. Uh, which, again, is another thing that I have not gotten too terribly far into, but it's the furthest that I've gotten out of all the books that I'm reading. <clears throat> yeah, I'm a little bit of a procrastinator. Spreading, don't spread yourself so thin. Yeah, no kidding. Anyways, um, so what I liked about this book is that it seems to... Um, it's a very good introduction into CouchDB. I mean, CouchDB is what is running... Most of the GNOME programs nowadays, you got it in Evolution, you've got it in Gwibber, you've got it in Ubuntu 1, uh, for better or for worse, in certain <laughs> instances. And um, so I've been, I've been dipping my toes into this whole CouchDB thing, getting situated and stuff. I find that CouchDB is, is an interesting way of looking at it. I know it's part of this whole NoSQL movement and such, along with databases like MongoDB. So it's a slightly different way of thinking about things, but it doesn't seem like it's entirely terribly crazy, if you will, like like uh, some of the other things like Hadoop. I have not been able to get my head around Hadoop quite yet. 
Yeah, no, it's it's definitely interesting. I, I'm actually reading the same book. I've gotten most of the way through it again. Um, have you written any code and stuff out of it? Have you done any test project stuff? Are you finding that you can you can actually get some stuff working with it? Or are you just yeah, kind of? I've, I've had some pretty good luck with it thus far. I mean, I'm basically at examples at this point. I'm not totally into uh, full programs. You know, throwing around my contacts like they were, you know, shuriken in the night, whatever. But it's it's definitely it's it's not as hairy as I think it could possibly be. It I mean there is nice things to couch. No, as it much def- as it drives me nuts at times. <laughs> it's actually got a couple killer features. I know um, at, at work we do some you know market research survey kind of things, and one of the things we often do is send people into the field. Right, we send guys going out doing surveys out in the field away from the server farm. And I got thinking, you know, the couch really is interesting because one of its killer features is replication, where you can have a database in 10 places and have them replicate their data either to each other or back to a, you know, central couch DB instance. And that's kind of how the Ubuntu One stuff is working, where, you know, your Gwibber has all this data in couch DB and they actually push it up to a central server that that way it can synchronize back with, you know, from your desktop Gwibber instance to your laptop Gwibber instance and such. The only thing with the book that I'm kind of annoyed with, and it's just because it's not, I'm looking at it for a database solution, is that it sure seems like half the book is about how to like build a whole web application using CouchDB. You can actually serve HTML files and JavaScript logic and, and actually use CouchDB as the whole application. But it just seems like, boy, why would anyone want to? Well, it's, it's I mean, the whole idea behind CouchDB, CouchDB is to relax. So the more that the database does, the less code you have to write, right? You still got to write the code, and <laughs> you're doing a lot of front-end stuff now. And, um, you know, just some of the simple things. Like, you know, as a developer, you know, you want to hack on stuff and, and see your, you know, results right away. And I don't, I don't quite see how I'm going to be able to. Because you basically you have to make these web requests to the CouchDB server, and your web request is posting, here is a function I would like you to put into the database to run later. And so if you want to edit that function, you have to you know, edit it locally. Maybe you do some kind of testing locally. But when you actually go to run it on the server, you actually have to go push it to the server every time. And um, maybe I've just missed that there was some way to like automate that extra upload step to get it on the server to try it, to you know, hit refresh and see your change take place. But um, it just seems like uh, it would be a bit of a hairy, uh, hairy thing for any kind of complex application beyond. I know they've got a, a few sample apps, like a blog app and stuff with it. But um, well, yeah, I don't know. My, from my playing with it, it seems I, I'm, I'm waiting for that point where it's just going to fall over. Uh, that you're going to reach that point where it's it's no longer going to be able to to do the request as quickly as you you need it to do. I mean, it seems like it would be fine for something like a context database, or for preferences, or for you know small bits of data that you need to have pretty quick access to. It seems that if you wanted to do something like I don't know the New York Stock Exchange, that it would look at it, give it a little quiver in its legs, and then just faint. I, mean, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they have solutions for that, and they kind of blow through some of that, you know, the scaling out of CouchDB. I definitely feel like they gave it kind of a, a short shift. Um, I think I linked you at one point where I was like, you know, I got to a certain chapter. I think it was I, chapter 18 where they, they talk about how to scale it, and, and the whole chapter was 
yeah, throw more servers at it. That's scaling. <laughs> and it was like two pages long. I mean, I'm a developer looking like, all right, here's the nitty gritty. Like, I'm going to get in here and get, you know, recommendations and best practices. And they're going to reference huge deployments and, you know, awesome. And then I flipped the page and that was the end of the chapter. So definitely, maybe, um, it's, maybe it's easier than we're making it out to be. Maybe we're just, you know, these old, old graybeards that figure that it's going to take at least, you know, fifty-three thousand lines of code and networks and servers and all that other kind of wonderful stuff. I, I mean, I'm definitely still interested, and it's it's definitely interesting technology, and it's it's in real use today. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, ask the Ubuntu one guys about that. I'm sure they're having fun with it. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, um, the book is CouchDB, The Definitive Guide by J. Chris Anderson, Jan Labenhart, and Noah Slater. And that's an O'Reilly book there, I believe. So next time, though, I want to bring up, I just got my copy of ProPython from A-Press in today, and I'm drooling to go through this thing because, as you know, I just got a Python job this spring, or actually back in February, and I am eager to jump into some of the higher-end, you know, Python suggestions. So I'll have some notes for that next time we get together. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. So with that, I think we're definitely hitting towards the uh, our time limit for today. Um, we want to say that Guys, we want feedback to this. This is our first episode, and we kind of want to throw a little bit of stuff out there. Um, and we want to get your guys' feedback. So the site is lococast.net. Um, feel free to leave comments uh, all throughout there. And I've got to get to work on getting the uh, the email up for the site and things. And it will be cool later on to be able to actually take, you know, do some emails on, this, on the podcast along with maybe some uh, calls or stuff like that. That would be interesting. And if you'd like to hear anything on the show, by all means, leave some, some feedback to us. Send us an email. Let us know what you want to hear about. We're more than willing to talk about anything. All right. Well, I'm Rick Harding from uh, Ubuntu Loco here, signing off with... Craig Maloney, <laughs> also from the Ubuntu <laughs> Loco, who is unfortunately unable to catch a cue when he sees one. <laughs> We've got some practice to do, Craig. We still got some practice to do. So I'll talk with you guys later on. Thank you.